Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover with yours truly, Jarrell Mason, better known as Jay Mace, where I interview people in and out of the entertainment industry, give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. Now, this woman that I have on the podcast today, every Saturday afternoon at 12 o'clock on WTVD News Channel 11, whenever I would hear people all over the world, it was time for me to sit in front of that TV and just be enthralled for an hour by all of the guests and all of the dancers on the hippest trip in America. But since then, she's got her own photography company, Juliet Hagerman Photography. So picture is definitely worth more than a thousand words. We're gonna get into all of that, how Soul Train is important for the culture, American soul, the whole nine yards with the one, the only, the lovely, the beautiful Miss Juliet Hagerman. Miss Hagerman, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invite. Uh, not a problem. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this interview with me. I appreciate you wholeheartedly. So definitely tell me about your beginnings going up in Chicago. How did you make your way out to La La Land to get on this little show called Soul Train? Okay, you know, we were like everybody across the nation. My entire family used to watch Soul Train. Uh, I had my favorites on there, such as Pat Davis. Demita Joe Freeman, uh, a number of people, uh, Thelma, if you know who she is. I mean, just a number of people who are like my favorites. So as watching it as a kid, we used to kind of almost imitate what was going on on TV. You know, we act like we on the stages, dancing sometime on the couch, dancing, having our fun time or whatever. And as a kid, I always said I wanted to go on Soul Train. Now, before Soul Train in Los Angeles, we actually had Soul Train when we were little kids uh, in Chicago. It originated from Chicago. So in Chicago, it was just in a little tiny stage area in black and white on TV. And so as a little kid, that's where I really started watching Soul Train. And then it graduated, it, so to speak, and wound up in California. When it, became, when it came to California, I knew for sure one day I was going to go to California and dance on the show. Uh, when I left Chicago to come to California, my whole vibe was I really kind of wanted to get into the acting field and I actually did kind of want to do photography back then, but it was just too difficult. It was a number of things I had in mind that I wanted to do when I came out here. So I started off kind of first with the acting thing and got a couple of commercials and um, did, a, wow, I did a lot of TV and film, a lot of TV and film. And then I went back to Chicago and then I finally moved out here. When I moved out here is when I really kind of started on Soul Train. I had a chance to dance on Soul Train once when I was out here on vacation. But when I went home and finally moved back was when I became a regular on the show. And of course that was in the eighties, um, more like in the late eighties, 86, 87 was when I was really living out here. My first time on here, I was just visiting California and visiting my friend, Diana Hicks. And she had told me about going on the show. And uh, of course I had my first day of coming on Soul Train with the excitement and my eyes were like big, like, oh my gosh, I'm here at Soul Train. <laughs> and uh, it's, it was a, a rush. An exciting rush, nothing I can describe. I mean, only people who can describe it to you is somebody who else danced on Soul Train. You can go to a club, you can go to a concert, you can go to anything, but nothing, I tell you, nothing is like your first day on Soul Train when you get there, the excitement, the uh, acts who are right there with you. Um, the music is all pumped up. Everybody's there getting you hyped. It's just like one gigantic party. It really is. <laughs> 
Man, I bet. And you mentioned that Soul Train was originally based out of Chicago before Don took it to L.A. And I believe the station it was based out of was WCIU. And when I interviewed Tony, yeah. who is Don's son, he was telling me, of course, about when Don got started at WVON. And then when he took the show out west, the local version still kept going for a couple of years. But unfortunately, because of the technological limitations of the day, there's no local Chicago Soul Train footage, which I wish... There was because I heard that it was a very good deal and you had kids lined up around, I believe it was the trade building in Chicago, trying to get in well, and get on the hottest show in the city. Yeah, well, I was really young back then, so I don't really remember much about anything about uh, when it was in Chicago, just what I watched. I had a cousin who was on the show. She went on there a couple of times, but I was too young to go on the show. So I, I didn't have the experience of Soul Train back then. I had never been on the set, had never seen what anything was like. But like I so said, my cousins, they could tell me pretty much what it was like. But yeah, so it started there in a in black and white in Chicago. <laughs> oh, man. So you probably had to all sit at the front of the living room. This was back when you had three, maybe four channels if you're lucky. And you had to kind of do rock, <laughs> paper, scissors on who was going to watch what. Exactly, but not with Soul Train. Everybody watched Soul Train. It was like when it was time to come on, we finished up our housework, did what we had to do. You know, it came, I can't remember what time it used to come on. Um, the original Soul Train, I know, used to come on at about three o'clock or so. But the one from California, I think it must have came on late afternoon, it seems to me. Like, it wasn't early morning. I don't think it was more like, because I remember us doing our housework first before we got a chance to sit in, the in front of the TV and watch it. So it must have been about 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon or something used to come on. Mm -hmm. And to set the stage for those of you that are too young to remember the show, think about circa 1970s. There was hardly any images of African-Americans positively on TV. And what Don Knees did, he said, hey, I'm going to take what American Bandstand or some of these other regional dance shows are doing and just cater it to us. And then when he moved it out to LA, it initially only aired, I believe, seven markets and expanded. And then Johnson Hair Care Products, the makers of Afro Sheen and all the other hair care products decided to bankroll sponsor the show. And it became the cultural phenomenon that we know and love today. Exactly. Uh, it was, it's something that's, of course, as we know, a part of history and we're a part of history now. Uh, we have actually donated our um, outfits to the African-American Museum in uh, DC. Uh, there's only one person whose clothes is actually in there right now. That's Freddie Maxie, one of the 70s dancer. She also danced or was with Mar Marvin Gaye. But uh, we have, there's something else in the works that they're talking about for the Soul Train dancers that's gonna happen museum-wise. And I just got contacted recently about that. So uh, we'll see how that works. And that's something that's happening in Chicago. And it's gonna be pretty big. So I was, was happy to hear about that. Okay. But uh, what's good is that we're not forgotten about the dancers because it's been so many times that we've been overlooked. Such as, you know, when, how many times have you seen us at the Soul Train Awards? None. <laughs> you never see the dancers at the Soul Train Awards. Uh, I was fortunate enough that Don really looked out for me and he made sure I worked. I always worked behind the scene at the Soul Train Awards for about, I don't know, 15 years. Uh, he had me to work every single show that he had. So I was very fortunate in that part. Uh, but other than that, as far as being on the show, I think Louis is the only person who's actually, or, and Mo Q, those are the only two that I know of. And Alfie Lewis might have danced on stage uh, with one of the artists or something like that. 
and also uh, another dancer. Her name is Jay Nice. She got a chance to dance with LL Cool J. I think at the Soul Trainer was. I can't remember what that was, but not unless you came in and danced with one of the artists. We were never ever invited as the dancers to dance on stage. Just come and watch. Man, <laughs> that it. is that is crazy. And I know you mentioned the story on how you got on, where you snuck onto the lot and entered in through the back door when the red light was on. And for those of you that don't know, in TV world, when the red light is on on the soundstage, don't come in. Exactly. Well, you want to know what I, I hate to, you know, I hate to put it as I snuck on. Uh, I went there to get on, but I didn't know what time they actually started or anything. I just knew where it was located. And so I went to the soundstage and uh, like I said, the, the gate was closed and they were in there. So nobody was outside. I heard that everybody would be standing outside. But when I went there and I saw nobody outside, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Maybe I have the wrong days. That's what I was thinking. I had the wrong day. So the gate that I was told is normally locked because people are like, how did you get in? The gate is always locked. But just so happened when I went to the gate to try to look in and did this, it opened up. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so I went on through, walked up the stairs and just opened up the door. As I opened up the door. There was nothing there but another little section. Then you open up another door where you saw the red light. And that's when everything was going on. The music was going. Don was there. I just saw everybody. But everybody was looking at me like, was this opening up the door doing the taping? Hey, I did not know. <laughs> so the record stopped a little while later and that's when the dance coordinator came over to me and like, well, who are you? And I'm like, and I'm Juliet. I'm just here from Chicago visiting. And he just started asking me a lot of questions and he said, can you dance? I'm like, yeah, I could dance. I'm just kind of talking, you know. And he goes, he pointed out a stage and say, hey, you know, when this record stops, I want you to go over there and dance on that stage. And I went there and was scared, didn't know what to do. Uh, the girl next to me, her name was Angela Bennett. And it was these two little round stages we were dancing on in the back. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do? I'm scared. This is my first time. She said, girl, just throw your hair, smile and throw your hands. And, you know, I said, okay. And the record started and I just started having fun. And that's where it all started. But that was a great weekend for me because they knew I was there from Chicago and I was going home. So Don found out I was from Chicago. They talked to me for a minute and they made sure I did the scramble board that weekend. I danced on stage with Nona Hendrix. I did the Soul Train line and danced on practically every stage. They used me in every area that they could before I went back home. So it was almost like when I got back to Chicago, it was like I was a star. Yeah, man, cause Soul Train, like I said, it was appointment television. Now I didn't know this until the VH1 documentary that the answers for the scramble board was fed to the dancers ahead of time. Now, when Don said that, I was like, what? I've been watching Soul Train all these years and never knew that the answers were piped in in advance for the scramble board. Exactly, but you know, it's for a number of reasons. Number one, he didn't want anybody to look illiterate and misspell. Cause sometimes when you're nervous, you just, you can't think. You know, and you just, cause you know, you're on a time restraint. So it was like, he wanted to make sure they get it right. And again, there was on a time restraint. They didn't have time to sit there and wait uh, for them to try to figure out really what it was. So it was like, give them the answer. You just got to figure out how to place it real quickly and go for it. Sometimes people still get it wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, um, it was told. Yeah, because when I interviewed, you know, former dancers, like I mentioned, Shabadoo, Tyrone Proctor, may they both rest in peace, and my uncle, Derek Fleming, they were telling me about how, man, the tapings were brutal. So how, how often did you guys tape? And was it like a 
grueling schedule and how many episodes were taped per per taping? Yeah, we would tape uh, several months out of the year and we would do four tapings in one weekend, two tapings on Saturdays and two tapings on Sundays. Saturdays was a lot of dancing and fun and some groups. Uh, Sunday, they may wrap it up with that. But then the line was always done on the Sunday. And that was the very last thing we did. There were times we got in and we got out, but there were sometimes it took forever. I don't know for whatever reason, whether it was a technical reason or whatever, but there were some times when we were there like really, really late. One time we were there to, I think one in the morning, it seems like it was really late. And um, for the most part, it got us in and it got us out. I mean, it wasn't like we were getting paid. So <laughs> it wasn't an overtime payment for us or anything like that. So it was like, if you want to leave, you can leave. If you want to stay, you stay. But it was like a hangout. You're there with your friends. You're partying, you're having a good time and be truthful, you didn't wanna leave. That was the whole thing. People were like, what, y'all didn't get paid? I'm like, how many people get paid to go to a club? Was, that's all it was really was a filmed club. And um, I mean, there were a lot of us who got paid, but for what we danced on stage with the artists. You know, I danced on stage with a lot of artists and because I was union, I was able to work it out where I did get paid. So I can never say that Soul Train did not pay me because they did. There's a number of us who did if we worked it out, if you knew what to do, you got paid. Let me put it that way. When you dance on stage with the artist, you can get paid. Mm, but a lot of people to, didn't know that. Yeah, you had to play your cards right. And then you couldn't turn down that nice two or three piece box of KFC. Well, a lot of us did. Me and my group, we did. That's because there were plenty of restaurants you can go to. So that was another thing that I just want to kind of smash with people saying that we were forced to eat chicken. No, you weren't. Uh, we had a whole hour and you had time to go out. We really had more than an hour. You had plenty of time to go out to the restaurants that were right across the street. So all of that whole thing of, yeah, they were forced to eat chicken. That's all they had. No, you didn't have to eat if you didn't want to. I didn't eat it. I think most people I was with, we didn't eat it. We went because we wanted to kind of hang out someplace where we could have fun, play music or do whatever. And we went and ate. There was like a Thai food restaurant. There was Denny's across the street. There was all kind of, you know, uh, fast food joints everywhere. So you did not have to eat the chicken. I mean, if you wanted to, then fine, you ate it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, from what I've heard from sources and people that I interviewed on the show that Don was a tough customer. He did not play any games. And when he came down from wherever he was at, everybody straightened up real quick and was like, um, what are you doing? With yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> uh, I would say a number of us were fortunate to get to know Don outside of Soul Train. Um, Don gave me a lot of parts. I mean, he, he looked out for me. He, um, and to me, he was different outside of Soul Train than he was on Soul Train. But you better believe when I was down at Soul Train, I wasn't trying to have a conversation with him. I wasn't trying to act like, hey, didn't we just talk last week? And ah. No, it was like when Don was there and he walked in the room, it was like, it was like your daddy walking in the room. Mm -hmm. you know? you he was all business. Up. He was all business, all business. The one time he called me on the phone, well, a couple of times we actually talked on the phone and actually met with him in his office a couple of times. I was still always nervous around him. I worked every Soul Train Awards right after I stopped dancing on the show. And I worked right there in the office with him when we were at the Shrine Auditorium and every place else. I worked with another young lady, Victoria English and several other people. And we were just like his kids. When Don came in, we were totally at attention. Totally at attention, you know, but I appreciate Don. He was like my mentor. Um, he did not have to 
I mean, the jobs that I had for him, he did not have to do that. You know, I had a very, shall I say, responsible job. It's like I worked backstage with um, talent check-in and with all the artists. And it's like whenever they check in, they checked in with us. You know, if you saw people with all of the passes and the backstage passes, should have brought some in here with me, uh, which I still have, then they had to see us in order to get, even get in the place. All the artists saw us in order to get into every show for the most part, you know, it was backstage. And that was a definite privilege that I appreciate because they weren't putting no other dancers in that position. So that was something to me that was great. And I had to understand that for me to be in that position, again, that was like a privileged position to be in. I worked all of his award shows, all of them, uh, for I say over 10 years, you know. Uh, so between him and Tony, I, I appreciate it. If they ever see, well, if Tony ever sees this, again, I appreciate every minute of that job. I really do. Mm -hmm. And it's felt like to me, like we said, Don was all business, but he had a side that you didn't see unless you really got to know him. That's why I was so surprised when that clip emerged from, I believe, a 70s episode where Mary Wilson convinced him to go down the line and to see him cut loose. Yeah. It was like, Don yeah. dances. Yes. <laughs> well, I wasn't there for that, but yeah, I did see it on tape. Right. And it just made me think about, you know, with Chicago and the whole stepping culture in Chicago, how it's very smooth. And for those of you that don't know what stepping is, it's where you go get your finest outfit, a nice suit with a hat, with a tie if you're a guy, nice dress if you're a young lady, get your shoes, your hair cut, your hair done, and they take it serious. Serious. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, uh, it's a part of the Chicago culture. Uh, we've always done it. It just changes names. Uh, it was called bopping. Before bopping, it was called something else. It went from that to stepping. So it, it's it's a part of the Chicago culture, basically. It's almost like you're not from Chicago if you don't know how to do it. Right. Just as important as Chicago House is Chicago, stepping is as important to Chicago. Now, Stevie Wonder has this album cut off of the characters album. That is a stepper's classic. I can't recall the name of the title right now, but when I first heard of it, I was like, hmm, what is this? But as soon as I looked up a clip of, I guess, an event in Detroit, somewhere in the Midwest, as soon as it popped on, everybody got on the floor and just started doing their two-step. I'm curious what record that is. I can't figure out what that is. Yeah, it's off the character's album. It's something about crying. I can't recall the name of the title, but it's an album cut, and it's consider a stepper's classic because I was listening to Questlove Supreme and Questlove was talking about how he was doing an event in Detroit and a guy was telling him, hey, you need to play this cut. And he was like, um, I'm a Stevie guy, but I don't know this cut. And the guy was like, trust me, play it. Questlove played it. Dance floor was packed. And he was like, oh, I see what you're talking about now. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so, have to look for whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, you definitely have to check that out. Now, how hard was it to follow the no fraternizing with the guest rule, where when so and so would come to perform, not to take pictures, get too close, because I'm sure there were watchful eyes in the sky, and of course, Don was making sure that everything was on point. Well, I'll tell you. Um... We knew not to do it. Let me put it that way. We knew not to do it. But the main thing is, is that um, sometimes you had to be careful because they would be coming to you. Uh, you always had so-and-so's assistant coming to you or trying to slip you a card or, 
you know, asking you, hey, you know, uh, we're all meeting at the such and such hotel later. You know, they're always having a party somewhere and want the Soul Train dancers to come. So we always had them approaching us and we knew not to approach them. But I'll tell you, at one point I knew I wanted to get pictures and I knew we really weren't supposed to do that at one point. And I just said, what the heck? There were a couple people came down there I wanted pictures of and I got pictures of them. One time Don saw me and I got scared. He looked and kind of turned his head like, and I kind of stepped back and then he came and walked over to us. And I don't know, he was saying something to one of the guys and the celebrity turned around and said, come on, man, I, I really want this picture. I really want this picture. And it was like, they wanted the picture. Sometimes they would come and they would want pictures of us. They were a fan of ours, you know? So um, it seems weird. Cause it seemed like after that, he, he never bothered me again. <laughs> came over, said anything. So I kept taking pictures. So I have, thousands and thousands of pictures now that's why for you saw my youtube mini documentary right correct right so i did, I did the mini documentary for bet for soul train dancers and on that you'll see a lot of pictures a lot of those pictures are my pictures that i took you know for the most part Don kind of started allowing it and didn't but i think in later years he kind of relaxed and was allowing people to take pictures and stuff but yeah at one point it was like that was like a no-no you just absolutely did not do it but i just got to the point I didn't care. I wanted my pictures and I got them. <laughs> hey, I don't blame you. Now, as far as for being a dancer on the show, did Eric and some of the other coordinators scout the local clubs in and around LA for people to come on? Or was it where they just stood outside the line, Studio 54 style, and was like, you, you, and you, come on in. You, you're not dressed right. Come back next taping. You, you can come in. You, you can come in. Or was it easier to get on if you already had it? somebody already in dancing to get in, get on the show? All of the above. Everything you just said went down from them going to the clubs to scout people, from them picking people when they first came there, from recommendations. Uh, I think everybody I brought down, they let in. Uh, but the whole thing was they didn't let them on stage. So it was hard for a lot of people to get in and some were selected. But again, once you got in, it was still a process to get on stage. I mean, I was just fortunate enough to uh, just walk my way in and get on stage the first day and stay on stage. So being on stage again was one of them things that was a privilege because I know some people danced on the show for 10 years and was hoping to one day get on the stage and never did. And I didn't know that because a friend of mine told me, she was like, I was a lot of us down there. She named people who I didn't realize were there all that time. And she was like, yeah, we were there for 10 years and never once danced on the stage or danced down the line. And I was like, okay, that's really the, for the love of being at Soul Train. Wow, I did not know that. So, <laughs> man, so it sounded like the floor was kind of like the testing ground and you had to do something to pop out on camera in order for Eric or Tony or Don to say, hey, put him or her on the riser, put him or her on the stage, have him or her go down the line, correct? It was, it, it really was, it really was. Um, Eric would always be watching the whole time. You know, he's looking around the whole time people are dancing. People see Eric looking and they really get to, you know, moving and dancing or if they see Don looking at him or something like that. So it's like they were all, always auditioning, so to speak. Same as a lot of the stage dancers. Sometimes you're up there, you're still auditioning because they're watching you. If you're not doing anything that's going to really stand out, they might pull you down to put somebody else out, up there if they saw somebody on the floor who was really jamming or whatever. So there was always they were always rotating people and rotating stages. Um, some of us was fortunate enough to have our same spots for a while. Uh, you have the main stage, which I never liked. I didn't like dancing on the main stage. And when he put me on the main stage, I would really get pissed off because 
be truthful, you had some people who would almost knock you over to get some camera time <laughs> or jump in front of you. And everybody there kind of wants your camera time. So when I would dance on the little stages in the back, it would be the same four of us who kind of had the same positions for almost four years. I love that because the camera would come to us. We didn't have to fight for camera time. And trust me, a lot of stage people fought for camera time. If you were on the side risers, you were cool. If you were up top riser, you were cool. If you were on the back riser, but the main riser, a lot of those people were fighting for position to get camera time. So that's why I, I never liked dancing on the main stage ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I would bet because you're out of LA where everything is made, TV, film, music. So you're like, hey, this getting beamed to everybody across the country. Who knows who will see me and that could be able to parlay into my next gig. You know what I mean? So I definitely feel that it was very instrumental to make sure that you did something to stand out because like, I, like you said, dancers, you weren't paid. So you kind of had to make sure that I do something to go into my next gig, which is like your side hustle. And I know some people probably held down nine to fives since tapings primarily were on weekends. Yeah, yeah. But you not only want to stand out for Don and Eric, you want to stand out for the artists and everybody else because a lot of us got jobs from it. You know, you got music videos, you got you got into concerts free. <laughs> you got a lot of things out of Soul Train. So it wasn't just Soul Train. It was uh, it was a platform for a lot of things. It was a platform for some people for acting, for getting commercials, for so it it wasn't just you were there to hang out and party. A lot of us were uh, like I started a tour, so when I started a tour, I got paid good for that tour because I was booking the dancers to go on tour, and um, it's like people would see that, and they would use that kind of like oh you know we had so and so coming here or coming to the States uh, and they would make money off of us for the productions we would do. We would do a big, almost like fashion production with our designer from Soul Train, Tony Briggs. He designed a lot of our stuff. Uh, it's actually uh, Tamichi Tony Briggs. So we went on tour and did a whole fashion dance thing and it was, it was a lot of fun. So you, you get, get paid if you were seen in Soul Train, you get paid. Mm -hmm. Now, did Tamichi create Hammer Pants or was yes. he the co-creator of Hammer Pants? Oh, yes. Big time. If you look at most of the I Was a Soul Train Dancer documentaries that they have out now on BET, you'll see the lines and see the, a lot of those really funky, fun fashions, starting with the middle to late 80s, not 70s. Tamichi didn't do any 70s design. It was from the middle to uh, the late 80s and 90s, some of the 2000s. He did a lot of the stuff that you would see coming down the line. I would say like at least probably about two, three, four hundred of the dancers wore some of Tamichi Tony Briggs designs. Wow, because I look at Hammer Pants and me being five, six years old at the time when Hammer was popping and seeing those pants, I'm like, it's great for dancers because it allows you room to move and not be so stiff, but it just makes yeah. the front feels like a parachute where you could just like what Hammer did in the Taco Bell commercial. Yeah, but see, Tamichi also designed for a lot of the artists. Uh, if you again, if you saw the documentary that I did, uh, we did Vesta, uh, Vesta Williams, and we actually kind of toured to some spots with Vesta Williams from Soul Train. That's really where all that come from. And the fashions we wore, everything, including stuff Vesta wore, Stamichi, all those fashions. He did some stuff for Natalie Cole. I mean, for a lot of artists, not just the Soul Train dancers, for a lot of artists. Uh, Kalita Smith, 
Um, oh gosh, I can go on and on and on telling you about the people who Tamichi has designed for. But for us, yes, that was that was our main designer. Oh man, that's definitely amazing. So when was it that you felt it was time for you to step away from the show and focus on your next phase, which was going into the music video world as a casting director? Uh, well, I had I was already getting people asking me about the dancers. Can you get some of the dancers? And I think what happened was must've been like house party two or something else. Might've been, no, it was before house party two. I got a casting company who called me up and said, hey, you know, can you get like about, it was like 60 or 50 or 60 dancers for us. You know, we'll pay you, you're gonna be in it. And I think I was getting paid like a hundred dollars for it. And we'll pay you an extra hundred to get all these dancers. I was like, cool, yeah, I can, of course I can get you people. And when I got there, we were doing, it was a couple of, music videos we did and I realized that for the most part everybody there I had booked and meanwhile the person who got the credit for the casting uh for what I heard got paid I think about five six seven hundred bucks or something like that and I was the one who really did the casting and I was like wait a minute you know I've been helping people out constantly setting up dance with all these different music videos hmm so then I just started letting people know hey if you need dancers I can help you book and this is how much, you know, I require to get paid. And then it just kind of blossomed from there. Everybody started coming to me for dancers and soul trained dancers and everything else. And I just started doing bookings. And I mean, I did so many artists. I did a lot of things for Tupac Shakur, uh, with several of Death Row. I was working with Death Row. Uh, they had an artist called Jewel. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember everybody. I should have written everything down, but I worked and did a lot of music videos videos for a lot of artists during that time. And I used a lot of uh, soul trained dancers too. And then from there, I just started hiring models, dancers, everything else. And that just blossomed into me actually starting to work for Paramount and working in the casting department there. Um, and I actually worked in the extras casting department for Moesha when they started. And by that time, I was like, just kind of like done with Soul Train. I'm like, mm, I'm liking the casting better. And even Don kind of asked me, because he knew kind of what I was doing. And he said, which would you prefer to do? Work with us behind the scenes or still dance on Soul Train? I was like, you know, work behind the scenes. You know, I want to get paid. <laughs> I was pretty much done with Soul Train. So I kind of branched off from there and just started um, working with, like I said, him with the Soul Train Award shows and doing my casting. Wow. And it was like around 93, I believe, when Don stepped away from the hosting duties. And that was when they had the rotation of guest hosts before they got Maestro Clark, Dorian Gregory, and Shamal Moore. And I kind of felt like, for me as a fan, the show had a different vibe once Don stepped away as host because there's nothing like Don Cornelius cool and cool and smooth and Don along with Donnie Simpson are the two reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Ah, okay. No, that's good. Well, like I said, um, they have helped to branch a lot of people's careers. Uh, Don, even to today, the things I do is because of Don. I'm constantly, well, besides the pandemic, I'm constantly overseas working with a company that Don actually hooked me up with which is called Silverbird Entertainment in Lagos, Nigeria. But I work all over, all over Africa for them. I actually have a girls boot camp that I do there. And anytime you see the Miss World and the Miss Universe, if you see a Miss Nigeria in there, those are my girls who come from my boot camp. 
You know, I work with everything from imaging to training to um, almost like as they, they were having personal appearances, uh, international training. Basically, I'm teaching them to become ambassadors for their country. And um, that really, I said, because that comes from Don. Don are, was very good friends with them. So one time when they were here, I was with Don and them for something they were doing and met them. And they started inviting me to Africa to do what I do here. At the time, I was doing some training with models and casting. So I started doing that. And I still do that to today, back and forth. So hopefully, it'll pick back up after the pandemic. So between the training of them and also my photography that I do, <laughs> I'm also shooting over there now, too. So I'm shooting internationally and doing photography here. And my photography, again, started on Soul Train just as a hobby, taking pictures of a lot of the celebrities and everything else. And uh, yeah, everything I do is a result from Soul Train. It is the tree and then everything else are the branches that spouted off of that tree. Now, mm -hmm. I want to back up a little bit. Did you happen to catch the old train parody that Living Color did back in 1990? Yes, of course I did. Everybody did. We all saw that. We all saw that. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I know for some people, it was like, oh, if they're making fun of me, maybe it's time for me to exit stage. Yeah, that, that did happen for a couple of the dancers. Yeah, they said when they saw that, that kind of made them want to move on, and they did. <laughs> right, because I can remember seeing the clip of New Edition when they were doing Candy Girl. It was back in, I think, 83. And Lewski, Louis Carter, he got up on the stage, started dancing behind New Edition, and after the performance was done, Don, of course, comes on stage to do the interview, and he was like, Big Louie, Big Louie, um, don't come on stage with the dancers. And right. it, it just it just made me think that, you know, it was a good spot to where you could get cool with the artists outside of the show. And like you said, it led to different avenues for different people. You know, look at Jeffrey Daniel and Jody Watley. You know, Shalomar was formed because of Soul Train, rest in peace, Dick Griffey. Originally, Solar Records was Soul Train Records. And when exactly. Don wanted to focus full time on Soul Train, it got changed to Solar, which gave us the deal and Babyface and everything that came out of there. And then I could just right. all of the dancers that came out of Soul Train that made it big, like I mentioned earlier, Shabadoo and Tyrone Proctor, Avion Crockett, we had Vivica Fox. Come out of there, Nick Cannon, Rosie Perez, Perez the Joe Freeman rerun from what's happening. Uh, Tony Basil, she was in the lockers along with, uh, mm -hmm. I believe, Shabadoo, Don Kembalock. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we just go down the line all day with all of the dancers and all of the people that became future stars, all because of this one show that this man said, hey, I'm going to take something make it positive, and it become a cultural phenomenon. Now, for those of you that don't know, I'm going to throw out a little bit of tribute for you. Dick Clark. Yes, Dick Clark of American Bandstand tried to come for Don's market with Soul Unlimited, but Don was a having it because he said, hey, I'm from Chicago. I'm going to be the only game in town. Put out the word to all his connects in the industry. Like, look, don't go on this show. I want to be the only game in town. And Dick Clark yeah. had to bow down or even get capped off at the knees, so to speak, because Don didn't play that. He wanted to be the only stop in town. Right, exactly. And you saw what happened. They ended the show. <laughs> Quick, fast, in a hurry. 
because Don probably had mm-hmm. some connections still at the Wild 100s. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know a little bit about Chi-Town, even though I've never been at the Wild 100s and all, mm-hmm. Halst, 89 Halstead. And tell me about the importance of Chicago House and how it is still relevant, not only in music in general, but primarily Chicago. You mean house as in house music? Yeah, like Chicago house, like Jesse Saunders, Chippy, Bad yeah. Boy Bill. Frankie and, uh, Knuckles. Frankie who Knuckles. One of the, the winners, yeah. <laughs> WBMX. Yeah. Yes. Uh, house music will always be a part of Chicago. And I said it's been a part of the, the history of Chicago for over 30 years. Um, people, it's still a debate on where it started. Far as I'm concerned, it started in Chicago. You know, I've heard New York. I've heard, I mean, I've heard so many different things, but it started pretty much in Chicago, and it started um, in different areas. And it really did kind of start with the gay community because the gay boys, I'm telling you, they were doing that house music for a long time. I had a friend when he was first kind of telling us about it and talking about house music. We're like, what are you talking about? You know, and he was showing us some of the, they had their own dances. They just had their own culture, so to speak. And it just kind of grew from there. Whereas if everybody started getting the opportunity to hear it. Uh, and again, somebody who can tell you a whole lot about it would be Jesse Saunders. Jesse Saunders is a friend of mine and he is still rocking house music. He's still holding up uh, the game. He was doing Vegas for a while. They were having him go from um, club to club, just tearing Vegas up. But he's kind of still back. No, that's right. He's back in. Um, he's back this way now. But he's back and forth. He's everywhere. They fly him everywhere to do house music. So house music will be a part of Chicago culture forever. Right. And if you look at house, you know we can run a parallel. Disco, house, EDM, all of that falls under that same umbrella. Because if you throw on Chippy. Bad Boy Bill or any of the big Chicago house acts, if you have a certain age range in the Chi-Town, you are going to get on the floor and jack your body all night long, if you know what I yes. mean. If you know, you know. <laughs> yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of you, course. You know, you know, you know. So what's your take on American Soul? Um, <laughs> okay, let me say this in a diplomatic way. Uh, okay, so just to let everybody know, um, the American soul is not true to life at all. Uh, for the most part, the soul trained dancers can tell you more about a lot of those things more so than anybody, but they never uh, really interviewed any of the dancers. They kind of came up with their creation. They did kind of a, um, they took other people and kind of made the characters like some of the dancers, but other than that, it may not have been much of a show if they told the, the whole truth, <laughs> be truthful. I mean, you gotta kind of, you know, judge stuff up, so to speak, uh, just to get it sold. And things go through rewrite. I mean, if you know of any movie that has happened, it always goes through rewrites to make it more exciting, to make it more adventurous. Um, people ask me all the time, is Don really like that? I said, to a certain, certain extent, yeah, it is kind of a story about Don. There's a lot of things that were added. A lot of those characters did not exist. Of course, the celebrities existed. Uh, whether or not those were their total true stories, that I don't know. The celebrities are the only ones who can really tell you that. But anything dealing with any of the dancers, no. Very, maybe teeny little things they may have heard and they added it in the show. Other than that, 
they're not telling the dancer stories at all. My take on it, I would have loved for them to have, you know, gotten the dancer's story and gotten some of that right and really kind of use the characters for real because people really want to know. And see, people are just, I mean, people are really, really finding out just how significant the dancers were just by those documentaries from BET. I mean, I alone on the BET site got over a million views. Uh, on YouTube, I think it's only like about 200,000 views or whatever, but um, there's, we got a lot of viewership and a lot of people asking questions. When we do panels now as Soul Train dancers, a lot of people show up and a lot of people have questions. They wanna know because the dancers were always swept in the background and they don't know. A lot of, and they've always wanted to know about the dancers, but they don't know. So it's, it's the whole BET documentaries is the best thing I think that pretty much has happened to us as far as getting our stories out there, even though it's very short and quick, you know, cause we have a lot to tell. We have a whole lot to tell and a lot we're not gonna tell for BET. So, you know, a lot of things we gotta still keep to ourselves for maybe uh, that big movie or something that comes out. <laughs> or that memoir night, the dancers made the show. Cause like you mentioned in the documentary, how you would rock your hair, like I believe Barbara Eden, I dream a genie and how other girls were doing your hairstyle and to think about how the show is being across the country. And some of those bootleg tapes get passed in international countries, yeah. how it set the stage for style, for dress, for culture and for some people yeah. who grew up around a lot of black people, it was probably their first time experience black culture at its finest, authentic, not watered down. Exactly. There's so many artists who copied our styles, so many. And people always try to say, no, you all copied off of them. And no, we have the receipts. That's all you have to do is pull up the tapes and look at the certain styles and look at when those people came out. It's like I had people to try to argue with me and try to say, I stole Vanessa's, Vanessa Calloway's style from coming to America because she wore gold and wore her hair up the gold thing. I'm like, that didn't come out to 88. If you look at our tapes, I go back before 88 with that style. So people just, it's kind of like they don't get it. They just assume, oh, because we saw that, you all are copying off of them. No. And even some of the artists will tell you they got some of the styles from us. And especially back when it first started in the 70s, everybody was copying those styles. Mm -hmm. It was definitely trendsetting. Now, how big was the actual stage? Because I know camera angles make everything a whole lot bigger. But actually, how big was the stage when it wasn't like being shot, where it was wide angles? You know, I, I can't remember what the square footage was because somebody actually told me, but no, it wasn't as big as it seems. Uh, the way they had to set up and the way the walls were made, where they went out and all white in the back, just with colored lights, made it look bigger than what it was. You, the only way you would be able to, to see and judge what I'm saying is you would have to walk in the studio. Because my first time down there, I mean, I thought it was going to be huge. And then I walk in there, I was like, what the heck? <laughs> like, it wasn't small, though. It was big. But it just still wasn't as big as I thought. And then the part that people didn't see was even shorter. And that's the area that was in the back where everybody sat down where, where the chairs were. It was just a small crunched in area where you sit in chairs. And then where Don and the monitors was, was this little, little tiny area that they were all crunched in together up to the side. So no, it wasn't as big as people thought, but you, had, you would have to go on set to understand what I'm saying because it's hard to describe really. 
But now, um, now when you back. yeah, now when you started on the show, I believe it was like the mid '80s set where kind of like an early '80s disco tech with the little strobe lights on the side, and the Soul Train yeah. was side by side and not underneath. And did you know ahead of time that sets were going to be changed and then the theme would be no. changed from O'Brien Soul Train to coming to TSOP 87 with George Duke and Howard Hewitt on vocals? We knew nothing. It happened when it happened and we just see it after it happens. Uh, even if we showed up because my first year on there, the stage, the whole, everything was different. When I came back, it was a whole nother stage set up. So uh, we never knew. Uh, we never really knew what artist was coming out. Um, it's just like they'll say, clear, clear the stages. And we come off stage and they'll start setting up for the artists to come on. Sometimes we didn't know till right when they were coming out who it was. Um, same as the Soul Train line. It would never freaking tell us what song was coming on. <laughs> you know? And we hated that. Uh, I think later years, my later years of dancing on there, they started kind of like letting us know we oh, wow, yeah. But a lot of times they wouldn't tell us. It's just like they just start the music and sometimes like I may start the line and I'm standing there just trying to get a hint. What's going on? What are you going to play? And they wouldn't say and they just music start playing. I just got to start dancing. Sometimes it would be music we don't want to hear. And sometimes it'd be music so hype. We're like, can y'all play that again? <laughs> so no, it, they wouldn't tell us nothing. So now- Just want to clear the stage. Mm -hmm. So now when you said that you didn't know what song was coming on for the line, does that change the routine you already had in your head, depending on what you heard coming down the line? Sometimes it did. Sometimes it did because, as you know, I had somebody who people used to always call my twin. We were not twins. We were not twins. <laughs> um, we would practice routines, but sometimes we would practice it to two different beats. So in case it a beat we weren't used to, we would be able to get on beat. One time they played something, I can't remember what it was, and it was so totally different, extra fast. And we were like, what the? We like just went for it. And it worked out. It worked out. Mm, it def definitely did. And once hip hop really started to make its way onto the show, and then the course of course the VH1 mm -hmm. documentary and some of the dances I've interviewed, Don wasn't really a big fan of hip hop because that wasn't his generation, what he came up with, but he understood from a business standpoint, like, Hey, this is what it is. And this is what the dancers listen to at the club. So I got to put it on, even though it's not my cup of tea per se. Nope. He didn't like hip hop. Um, he wasn't necessarily crazy about having a lot of the white artists on, but they wanted to mix it up. You know, they wanted to get more viewership. So they did what they had to do. Uh, the whole genre you know of, of of music was changing so he had to go with the times uh you know one thing that i felt amazing about soul train was that is the only show that i know that ran on air that never had a commercial running never had never told you anything and people showed up for it you never knew who was coming on each week nothing i mean how many commercials do you really remember seeing uh, advertising soul train coming on on the weekend rarely you knew by looking at that TV guide or that preview channel, say, oh, Soul Train's coming on. I'm just going to watch it and see who's coming on. Because I can remember, it was, I believe, 88. New Kids on the Block came on Soul Train performing Please Don't Go Go. Uh -huh. And I believe they probably got on because Maurice Starr probably had a connection with Don. And they came on, performed. And after the interview, Don was like, I'm not sure if it's going to be the bomb as 
Maurice Sejra, but he was right once, and uh, we're going to see if he's right again. So it kind of led me to believe, like, okay, Soul Train can put people on the map, but it can also break people, too, if you don't play your cards right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it could, but it made most artists, most Black artists, it made most Black artists because, again, we didn't have a platform. You know, there was a lot of artists who you heard their music, but you didn't know what the heck they looked like especially before music videos came out, it's just you didn't have a clue of what they look like. So uh, Soul Train, of course, gave um, Black artists the platform that they needed to get out there to everyone. Uh, and some artists, you may have kind of heard their music, but once you saw them perform on a show, record sales went up from there. So it, it was a definitely great platform for all artists. Because mm, I'm sure record sales was boosted, and then a lot of the yeah. urban promo department people was calling, like, "Hey, what do I need to do to get my act on? Their album is floundering on the charts. We need a sales boost. So, can we get a guest spot?" Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that that was something great for them, and um, we were glad that we had the opportunity to be right there with them because number one, we got a chance to meet them for the most part. Because I said later, Don kind of relaxed and it was okay kind of when they came off stage and they would sometimes speak with us or whatever, and it was kind of okay. Uh, I mean, I have some friends to the day that are great friends from Soul Train, um, especially a lot of the ones that I perform with. I perform with um, Full Force, and to the day, we're still friends. Like Bowleg and Lou, that's, that's my boy there. You know, we'll talk a lot. We'll talk all the time. That's my boy there. Uh, Midnight Star, great friends of mine. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. There's a lot of artists who, to today, we're still great friends. Uh, several of them, when they're in town doing the old school concerts, like, hey, Juliet, we're going to be in town. Come on down. Me and a couple of other dancers, Sally, Achenbach, you know, we all go down to the concert, have a good time backstage, hang out, party, all of that. Great friends from there. You know, it's like I can think of probably about 10 artists who I'm great friends with because of there. When I say great friends, I'm not talking about dating or anything like that. I'm talking about just great friends. Um, and great relationships. So a lot of us, like, so we met a lot of great friends there and we, to today, still have some of the same friends. Even some uh, of the dancers, still some of the same friends to today. Yeah, and you mentioned Full Force and I was thinking about the two male dancers on the show, Fantasy and Diesel. I was looking at them in, yeah. their, in their build. I'm like, man, these dudes, like, they could easily be in Full Force, but they could move like yes. business. And it's just amazing to see that now in between breaks where some people kind of secretive with their routines like i don't want nobody to see this until we come on camera or you don't want nobody trying to bite right exactly mm -hmm. exactly yeah like, yeah because yeah, like you stated earlier everybody's jockeying for camera time and hey i want to look good so i can get my dance on and go on to my next gig so about your photography you mentioned earlier that it started before coming on to the show. And what are some of your favorite places to shoot and the art of photography that you like to do? Do you prefer more doing color portraits or black and white? Uh, color. I'm just really kind of getting started doing some black and white because of other photographer friends that I have. Uh, color I love. Some of the favorite places I love shooting is internationally. I've shot everywhere from Dubai, to London, Africa, I shoot in Africa all the time now. Uh, if you go on to my Instagram, Juliet Hagerman, uh, under International Style Media, 
you can see a lot of my work and I'm going to start putting more of my international work on there. Um, so I would say Africa is my favorite place. I mean, of course I love shooting here um, and shooting here. One of my favorite things to do is to shoot. Uh, I'm a photographer for fashion week here. So I shoot all of the fashion weeks. Um, and some of the best people I've gotten from there are shot with from there are a lot of the America's next top model. I think I just put one up, one of the America's next top model up today or yesterday. Yeah. And I have several other that I shot. I'm going to put that up. So I've shot a lot of professionals, um, a lot of celebrities that I've shot. Uh, I did Anthony Anderson and a bunch of other people that I've taken pictures of. I'm going to be posting those soon. Um, so I think I do kind of everything. I, I love high fashion the most. So between high fashion and celebrities are what I've been doing for 20, uh, 2019 and the beginning of 2020. Now I'm just kind of concentrating on models because there's no events. The pandemic has kind of ended my red carpet shooting, my award show shooting. I was shooting at award shows. I've done some stuff at some of the Oscar events uh, and Academy Awards and things like that. So that's been fun. So I've been very, very fortunate to get in where a lot of uh, black female photographers haven't gotten into. <laughs> that just shows you get the juice. Now to get in those rooms, is it like a referral or is it freelance or you kind of have to know somebody to get in? Um, all of the above, uh, but also I was working for some people. Uh, there's a couple of other people who I've worked for, a couple of other magazines, Mass Appeal Magazine, Davina uh, Duthart Inc., um, of course, the International Style Media. A uh, number of people I've worked for, and some of the designers for the Fashion Week who may have called me and said, hey, can you shoot my designs at Fashion Week? But also people at Fashion Week who I've worked with who have called me down. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of like, and some people have asked me, can you shoot my artist? So um, if someone calls me to shoot, I'm shooting. The same as I just got back from Atlanta from shooting there and that was a lot of fun. A um, couple of companies that I've worked for and I'm sure you've heard of the company Barbizon before models. I've shot some of the Barbizon models and out of town. And uh, just whoever calls me in. I mean, it, it's, it's been great. I've been very fortunate with that. I'm getting a lot of bookings this year, surprisingly. And I'm even shooting this weekend for someone. So it, it's been good. But I love shooting the celebrities and I love shooting high fashion and anything international. I want to go back to Dubai. Uh, that's one of the places I want to go back to and shoot. Wow. And the funny thing about fashion is, is that it comes in cycles how fashion when I was a kid is now considered popular and they'll jack the prices three to four times up. I went back home to North Carolina to visit my folks and in the mall. They had a store dedicated to champion with champion hoodies, champion sweatshirts. And I remember as a kid, champion being super cheap and how now cross colors, Carl Kanai. A lot of the 90s urban designers are coming back in vogue and also yeah. Gucci finally yeah. recognized yeah. the importance and significance of Dapper Dan, which I'm happy about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely, so it, definitely. yeah, so it definitely goes to show how important fashion, music, and moves play in our culture and in the culture at large, because I went to the Smithsonian Museum about maybe two years ago. And when I saw the Soul Train exhibit, and when I saw the little piece from the set, that was from, I'll say 93. Yeah, 93 to 06, right? I was like, oh, wow. 
I never thought I would see an artifact from the set. So I was in heaven because like I told you, Soul Train was appointment TV for me. I would sit in front of the TV, study Don and say, one day I'm going to be like Don Cornelius. And I could say <laughs> that I'm living out, you know, being Don and Donnie Simpson, Arsenio, you know, and just doing what I love to do, which is sitting, getting people's true stories, no filter, celebrating and remaining true to the culture without it being diluted. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, you're only getting a small amount because trust me when I say the dancers have stories, the dancers really have stories, but it's almost like, how much do you tell? So with each interview, you just give a little bit. <laughs> right. You, you give them a little tease to keep them coming for more, right? Yeah, because I said one day somebody's going to get to the real nitty gritty grind of behind the scenes of Soul Train. And I'm wondering when that's going to happen. It's going to be pretty interesting because, again, there's so many stories to tell, whether it's just from the dancers, whether it's from the celebrities, whether it's between the celebrities and the dancers, whether it's be because of the crew and the crew members, there's a lot to tell, but we'll see what happens with that. And I'm only saying that because somebody just discussed the fact that they are going to do a book about a lot of the dirt and grime. And I'm like, oh Lord, just keep me out of it. <laughs> yep. Although I don't consider myself involved in any dirt and grime with Soul Train, but there's a lot, there's a lot that went on. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely look forward to whenever that drops and when the ink dries and all that good stuff. So do you have any shout outs you want to give before we conclude this interview and also plug your social media? Yes. Um, again, Instagram, Juliet Hagerman, International Style Media, Facebook, Juliet Hagerman. Everything is just pretty much under my name. I don't have a bunch of different names or whatever else. But one other thing I do is uh, I also work with plus size models. So I have a whole thing called Miss Plus Top Model. So I have a magazine that I'm going to be coming out back out with called Miss Plus Top Model Magazine. That's coming out. Uh, let me see anything else. I guess that's it. I mean, I got a lot of things I'm working on, but I just don't know when anything is going to happen because of the pandemic. You know, I plan on going back to Africa to continue what I'm doing. And again, the company I work for there is Silverbird. We also have a studio here called Dream Magic Studio, which you might have heard of like Kevin Hart Studio. That's really Dream Magic Studio. Hope I don't get in trouble for that. But um, so many people calling it different names, but it's Dream Magic Studio. There's other people who are in there now renting out space and calling it different other names, but it's all Dream Magic Studio, which is a part of Africa. We're here. We're going to be doing a lot of productions out of there coming up soon. Um, and I guess that's pretty much it with my social media and that, but my photography goes on. Uh, if you're interested in doing any photography or getting anything shot, you can look me up. You can look up my Instagram, get in contact with me because bookings are going fast right now. Uh, I'm going to shoot a couple of more of America's Next Top Model coming up. You'll get a chance to see those on my Instagram. There's one other artist and celebrity that somebody asked me about shooting that's coming up. But look on the Instagram and you can see what I've done and you're about to see a whole lot more because I am banging. <laughs> yes she is and ladies and gentlemen you can catch this interview on all streaming platforms wherever you get your podcast anchor spotify apple tune in and on my youtube channel of the same name and to quote don much continued success and if anytime you want to come back come back on and yeah, one more thing go ahead go ahead go ahead Real quickly Please look at the interview, Juliet Hagerman, I Was a Soul Trained Dancer. This way you'll see my little mini documentary. Check that out. Much continued success. If anytime you want to come back, you got an open spot here. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, 
renaissance woman, picture, dancer extraordinaire, fierce, beat face, all that good jazz. Miss Juliet Hagerman, Miss Hagerman, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Love you all. <laughs>